This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am your host, Alex Fitton, and I am here to bring messages of hope for us adoptive moms. I fully believe that you cannot pour from an empty cup, and we as moms have a tendency to run ourselves into the ground before filling up again. So let's fix that. You can follow me on Facebook at Alex Fitton and the Adoptive Mom Podcast and on Instagram at the Adoptive Mom. This is episode nine of season five, episode 72 overall, which means we're over halfway through season five, y'all. So you know those people that you follow online that aren't like famous or anything, but they are to you because you're so familiar with and inspired by their story. So when you meet them after years of online stalking, it's like meeting an actual celebrity. That's me with my guest today, Marissa Ruper. Marissa Ruper is a 33-year-old mom of a tribe of Ethiopian teenagers, half of whom are deaf. She is an ASL English interpreter an artist, a homeschooling mom, a Celtic fiddle player, photographer, and an American ninja warrior. What? That's right. A freaking American ninja warrior, you guys. We're going to hear all about that and their adoption stories and their post-adoption lives too. And we're going to get to all of it in just a second. But first, I want to say that I love being a part of your weekly routine with this podcast. But I know what you're thinking. I need more. An hour on Mondays just isn't enough. So how would you like to get a special note from me in your inbox with photos, fun music, movies, TV, food, and literally whatever else I'm currently obsessed with, direct links to the episode, and much, much more. Yes, I thought you'd be all kinds of into that. Well, good news, friends. One such thing exists. So to make this dream come true, head to theadoptivemompodcast.com and sign up for Alex Mail. Um, Oh, and did you know that you can simply hit reply on those and it goes straight to my inbox? And I read them all, you guys. So let's connect. Big thanks to AMP BFF Jack Ernst for contributing on Patreon to make episodes like this happen. So thanks, Jack. All right, guys, let's get to the episode. All right, everyone, welcome to the Adoptive Mom podcast. I am super excited about my guest today because I used to read her blog before we even adopted. And so it's really cool that now I'm getting to interview you. So um, with that said, welcome to the podcast, Marissa. How's it going? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So just take a second, introduce us to your family. Tell us about you. Okay. Um, I am a mom of six. I have six kids adopted from Ethiopia. They're all teenagers. Um, and me and my husband are pretty young. We're 31 and 33. And then the kids range from 20 to 15. And yeah, we have a crazy house and two Siberian Huskies. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys live in New York? Yeah, we live in Western New York. Yeah. Okay. So that's really cool. I don't know that I've ever met anyone that didn't like that lived in New York, but not like New York City, New York. That's what everyone thinks. Yeah. We're near Niagara Falls. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's cool. You don't even have that much of an accent. I mean, No. Cool. Well, okay. So I love your story because, you know, you mentioned that you have six adopted kids, all teenagers, none of them from the United States, right? Correct. So you've made a lot of trips to Africa, correct? (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So I like, I know that this is going to be a long story, but I'm super excited to hear it. So let's just hear about your, uh, like your multiple adoption stories. There's not even like one story, but you know, all of them. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> okay. Um, it starts way back. I didn't know anything about adoption. I didn't know anybody who was adopted. Um, and I didn't know anybody who was deaf. Um, and anyway, when I was young, I decided I wanted to learn sign language because really I wanted to talk to my sister during church and not get busted. <laughs> so we, we learned to spell the alphabet and whatever. And um, we were having fun with that. And then I just thought it was super cool. And my mom got me a book from the library because it was like before YouTube and all that. And we were trying to learn sign language. And then when I was 13, my mom found an article about a deaf orphanage in Liberia. And she was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, this whole orphanage is just all deaf kids. And I was like, I'm going to adopt deaf kids from Africa someday. Um, and I was 13, and it was 1998, and that's the year that Levi was born. But I didn't know it then. Wow, that's neat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was crazy. Um, so I met my first deaf person when I was 16. Um, and then later, I didn't want to go to college, and my mom was like, oh, I really want you to go. She found a sign language interpreting program, and I got into that. Um, and so I started getting involved in the deaf community. And then Abe asked to date me, and he's a few years younger than me. I'm 33. He's, he just turned 31 last week. And uh, he asked to date me, and I gave him this whole – I didn't want to go out with him, so I gave him this whole list of requirements. And um, <laughs> I, I was just really mean to him. He asked me out for, like, a smoothie. He was 18, and I was like – I'm looking for a husband, not a boyfriend. Like, I'm not going to sleep with you. You can't tell me you love me until you give me a ring and you have to learn sign language because I'm going to adopt deaf kids someday. That's literally the first thing I said to him. <laughs> I love it. And he just kind of like stared at me and then he was like, okay. And uh, 12 years later, here we are. <laughs> so <laughs> he was good. Um, but we started the adoption process about six months into our marriage. We got married two years later when he was 20. Um, and we started the adoption process about six months later because of everything that had happened with Haiti. Um, our church was involved with an orphanage down there and just a lot of the kids, um, died and we were just really struck with like, we were focused on, I was focused on trying to be a musician and he was still in school, but I was like, there's, we could be doing so much more. Like we're not doing anything wrong, but there's so much more that we could be doing. Um, and we need to do it now. And so we got into that, um, finally found an agency whatever and started working with them and then we waited and waited for a referral and we thought when we adopted we put our age limit like zero to five and we were like wow like a five-year-old like that's so old it's so big <laughs> and, they've had uh, so much life by then <laughs> yeah yeah like five it's like incredible like so scary and um we specifically were asking for deaf kids and we didn't get a referral and we waited and waited. And then I got a random Facebook message from someone that I knew was also with the agency, but that I didn't know them. I didn't know anything really about them. And they sent me a message um, one day and they said, oh, we were, you know, in Ethiopia and we saw this little deaf boy in this orphanage and he just had the biggest smile and we thought of you. And I started crying and I told Abe, I was like, that's Levi, it's Levi. Um, and he was like, you need to calm down. Like, some random message does not mean that's our kid. Uh, but that's the way I am. And I was like, no, no, like I, I feel like it's Levi. And um, we started asking questions about that kid and, you know, trying to get information on him. And as we were doing that, the agency was really hesitant to tell us about him um, because it turns, you know, they thought he was about nine. 
nine or ten, which was like already like double our max age range. And um, there was just a whole bunch of stuff with his case that they were, you know, they were kind of like, oh, no, like there's no deaf kids. We don't have anybody. And while I was trying to get them to admit to me that they had him, I realized they actually had two kids um, and that the other one was Micah. And so we started fighting for both boys and we fought and fought and fought and fought and fought. And then like nine months later, they ended up dropping all of Micah's paperwork. Um, They had told us that both of them were unadoptable, that um, they had too many behavior issues, that they were too old, that they had no language, they were deaf, um, too much, too much other stuff with, with each of them um, and that they just weren't adoptable. And then they dropped Micah's paperwork completely And at the same time, I got another message from someone who I don't know and I've never heard from again. And they told me, oh, we saw your son in an orphanage in Ethiopia and his little sister was there with him. And we were like, what? Like, who, what, where? And so that turned out to be Zaria. And so um, we were only approved for two kids. They wouldn't approve us for three. They had dropped Micah's paperwork. So we switched our focus to Levi and Zaria. Um, and we were still trying to process Micah's work, but nobody would do it for us. And long story short, we got Levi and Zaria. There is no short in this. <laughs> we got Levi and Zaria. And then like two months after we left Ethiopia, Natalie showed up in the orphanage, the same orphanage. And people were contacting us and telling us like, oh my goodness, like there's this other deaf kid here. But we were like, whoa, like we have our hands full. <laughs> we're, we're good for now. Um, and then about six months later I was at work and I got a video of her and I knew I I work overnight um third shift and I knew if I opened the video like I was going to be done so I sat there and like stared at this email and I was like you know what I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and look at this video like and I clicked on it and she came up and I'm gonna start signing now too and uh (laughs) she was trying to sign and um I just felt like she was like looking straight through the video and like she was being like mom come get me so I left work it's like four in the morning I drove home Woke up Abe. I'm bawling my eyes out. Poor guy has no idea what's going on. And I'm like shaking him. I'm like, we have to go get this other little girl. Like, it's our daughter. So we um, we started the process for Natalie. And at the same time, we tried to pick up Micah's case again. And we were getting all no's on that. But we were still fighting for his paperwork. And Natalie's case um, took about, about 15 months Um and then I, we were able to go get her, go to court, and then go to um, go to embassy for her. And on all of those trips, we were going for Micah. Um, and we had already located Micah, and then we were just visiting him repeatedly, repeatedly. And then Natalie came home. And uh, when I was at the orphanage going for Natalie, I took an extra trip for Nat because her case was taking a really long time, and she was having a hard time, and she's also deaf. So I took an extra trip for her. And that first trip, um, when I got out of the van to go meet her, I actually met Olivia, which is now another one of my kids. And I was just like immediately drawn to her. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I love her. And I messaged Abe that night from Ethiopia. And I was like, I know I'm here for Natalie, but like there's this other girl here. And same day, I actually met Haven as well. And so Natalie came home and then we ended up getting Olivia and then Haven came home and then after a huge fight of eight years, Micah came home last year. <laughs> That's that. <laughs> wow. And okay. And like, they, they're not, um, they didn't come home in age order, right? No, not at all. No. 
Um, Levi came home. He was a month away from being 14, and Zaria was 8. And then Natalie was 11 when she came home. And then Olivia was 16. Haven was 14. And Micah um, was like a week from turning 15. Wow. When they all, at the different time, the ages when they came home. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. And I, I mean, this, this is just like my personal, you know, reading your blog. I, I lost track of it when Micah was still not home. And so I remember reading that you had gone over there um, and you were like having not top secret meetings, maybe, but like meetings you were not supposed to have or something. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm really stubborn. I actually think that's probably why he's home because they were just like, get this chick out of here. Like, she has to stop coming. I've been to Ethiopia like seven times for him. Um, I just won't leave. They just want me to go. Um, yeah, I was able to make a lot of connections. I can speak a lot of Amharic now. I worked really hard on being able to do that so I could communicate for myself um, and just so I could get around. And I was just, I was there so much. And I really wanted to, I wanted to show them that I really cared, like, not only about him, but like about the culture and about them and about being respectful to them and whatever. So, um, yeah, I was able to get meetings with some really high up officials. Um, and they were really, a lot of them were really great. Um, and yeah, I did a lot of stuff. (laughs) I forced a lot of stuff. I was like, this has to happen. I threw my purse at one point. I got so mad. It's the only time in my whole life I've ever done that. I like grabbed my purse and just like chucked it. I was so angry. And (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I went on a dinner date for some paperwork. Like, I was like, whatever I got to do, like, let me get my child out. Give me the information that I need. So, yeah. But I I love that because, I mean, okay, so there's a couple of different things. So, obviously, you know, I think that in our minds as our, you know, untraumatized, like, normal people, whatever, in all the air quotes, minds, we want to think that this, you know, made him feel a certain way or made him feel overly fought for or whatever. And, and we know, I, we know that's not always the case. So how did he feel about that? Did he see the work you were putting in? Did he appreciate that? Did he feel loved? So for him, it was different than anybody else because he, he did see us so much. And since he was little, um, it's, it's complicated. He always, yeah, again, like I think people forget adoption is one way, like, well, it's a one way commitment. There's no, there's no agreement and there's no choice on the side of the child. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as like the parent is the one saying, I'm going to love you. I'm going to adapt you. Like we're going to make this work. And you know, it's not up to the kid. Um, and it doesn't mean that they're not going to, you know, end up loving you or end up appreciating it, but it's not their first, first choice. And it's not their choice at all. Like it's just something that, that happens. Um, and for him, he, he has always loved us, which I think is really cool. We've always had a crazy, crazy, crazy strong bond. In fact, he's the only one of my kids who I didn't have to work to bond with. Um, he's also, you know, he doesn't, he grew up in the orphanage his entire life in the orphanage. So, um, I'm the only thing that he knows as a mom and yeah, he did see me coming back again and again. And I was really worried about that because, I would go and then I would have to leave him. You know, I would stay a couple weeks and I'd have to leave him. And I was hysterical um, every time I left him. I actually, the last time I was there was 2011. No, I don't know. But it was, it was three, it was four years ago now, but three years before we were able to go and pick him up. So um, when I left on that trip, like I just, somehow I just knew it was going to be a real hard fight from there on out. 
And my driver got asked if he was kidnapping me because I was, I was so hysterical in the car. Like I was just losing my mind crying so hard. Um, and, and he was crying. And so I guess every day from, from that, that time that I left on, he asked them every day, like, when's my mom coming back? When's my mom coming back? Mm. And, um, he's deaf. He doesn't, he doesn't sign, but he was able to communicate that, you know, with my picture and whatever, like asking for me, asking for me. And I, I was really afraid that over the period of three years that he was going to be like, screw this. Cause that was the longest we'd ever gone. Um, and I just didn't have the money to go back and I had five kids here. And, um, I thought for sure he was going to be like, you know, forget her. Like, I hate her. Like she lied to me, whatever. Cause I had promised him I was coming back. I promised him he wasn't going to stay. And, um, so that was really hard. But when we actually got to Ethiopia last year for him, um, we went, we found him, you know, he'd moved a bunch of times. Like it was really hard to locate him, which was scary. Um, found him, saw him. I feel like he, he couldn't believe like that day, like he couldn't believe that we were there. And I also looked different. I used to have black hair and then I dyed it blonde and like I had lost <laughs> a bunch of weight. And he was kind of like, who are you? Like, not my mom. Um, but then, you know, I told him that day, I was like, listen, like we have court tomorrow. Everything's going to be fine. They already told us we're going to pass. Like, it's okay. Um, I'm going to come back and pick you up tomorrow. We're leaving. Like, we're not staying here anymore. We're out. And we ended up having a bunch of trouble um, on our court date. And it was just horrible. Like, I spent the whole day in tears and being, like, super angry because they told us that we weren't going to be able to go pick him up for, like, three days. And I was like, you don't understand. Like, I promised him. Like, I cannot break my promise to him. So I was just going to go and sit outside the orphanage um, gate so he would know that I was there. Like, even if I couldn't take him, like I wasn't going to leave him. Um, but we ended up getting the paperwork at night. We got it like at 5 PM, like right when everything's closing, we finally got this final piece of paperwork and then we had to drive like an hour out to the orphanage. And, um, you know, he had been asking all day, like, where's my mom? Where's my mom? Where's my mom? She said, she's coming. And the staff at that point told him she's not coming back for you today because it was after business hours. Like, you know, they don't know. Um, and you know, they're like, she can't come like, no paperwork everything's closed like you're not leaving today and um this all relates back to the bond in him like trusting and loving us he took everything he owned which really wasn't that much but he took his clothes his shoes he took stuff that he had won like awards he'd won for like engineering stuff because he's really really smart he took it all and he lit a big fire in the middle of the orphanage yard and burned it all and told them, I don't need any of this because you're wrong. Like, my mom's coming back. Like, I don't need any of this. So he literally burned everything he had in the world on the promise that I had said the day before. And he hadn't seen me in three years. And I said, I'm coming back for you. And so he burned everything he had, everything except our pictures. Um, and so when I got to the orphanage, everyone was really mad. And we couldn't figure out why at that point. Like, we didn't understand what had happened. And, um, and I was able to take him that night. So we took him. And then we've never, we didn't go back. <laughs> Wow. So anyway, yeah, so he, he's been very, like, he has no bonding issues with us, like, and no trust issues. Like, he's, he's crazy, crazy strong in that area. That's incredible. So, and, and yeah. my other question was going to be, what, what kept you going that whole time? I mean, obviously, you weren't just going to be like, well, this is too hard. But I mean, what what kept you from burning out or losing faith or anything like that? It felt like it was too hard to keep going I mean I thought for Levi and Z that it was so hard and awful and that was like three years um and then you know having kids home you know is also can also has a lot of hard stuff that goes along with it and I just I felt like it was never going to happen it took us eight years for him we started when he was six 
Um, and I, a lot of times, like, I don't know. I just knew he was mine. I know that sounds weird. Like, I just knew, I, I've always known, like, I fell in love with him and Levi before I met them. Like, I didn't have any pictures. I didn't have any information on them. I just knew they were my kids, like, 100%. And I'm very, I don't, I don't give up. So, and I don't stop. It's, like, the best and worst trait. So, <laughs> it's good and bad. I saw you watch my ninja video today. All I did was fall. I did, like, stuff, like, 600 times. All I did was fall today. But I could not stop. I was like, no, I have to do it again. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that stuff um, is cool to follow, by the way. We could talk about that in a minute. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I knew, I knew he was mine. I knew God had said, like, this is your kid. And I just, I knew that. And I believed it. And we've seen so many miracles with our other kids and with everything to get them home. I mean, when we needed Levi and Zaria's dossier to go out, like, at that point, like, we didn't have the money for it. We got a check for 10 grand. Somebody gave us a check for 10 grand, which was exactly what the dossier was, like, at that point. Or for, like, Natalie, like, we completely ran out of money and like I was working 24 hours a day and we ran out of money for the flights and a non-for-profit decided to cover our flights for her like rent like we saw and just the paperwork like Levi wasn't ever supposed to come home like you know we shouldn't have been able to get Natalie we shouldn't have been able to get all these things when we're like 10 years older than them um just stuff that I just knew like this is what God had said and God God holds true to his promises and like he's going to make this happen and I think it was incredibly exhausting. Like I cried every single night about it. I had to put all his pictures and videos off of my phone because I literally couldn't handle like looking at them after, after the first year of being apart that, that start, like it was just, it was terrible. And I would just have a meltdown. Um, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible, but I just, I knew he was mine and I knew that, that I had to go get him. Like that's my, that was my job was to bring him home. So I just kept going. Goodness. And <laughs> yeah, no, and I love that. I think that. So, what is your? What is your? Do you know your enneagram number? What is it? Uh, I don't. You don't. <laughs> I'm okay. Sure I'm wondering because I'm a one, and you sound like a one as well. That's like the reformer. Like you feel like it's your job to fix everything, and um, yeah, and you don't give up on stuff. So I love that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I also love that after eight long years, you know, you're through it, and somehow you're not worn out. You have like more kids that you're fighting for, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. This is yeah, incredible. Have, yeah. I have four more kids in Ethiopia. So Ethiopia closed, um, last year, a year and a half ago. Um, they actually closed on my birthday. It was like the worst thing ever to wake up to on my birthday. They closed and Micah wasn't home yet. And they were like, there's no more kids coming out of here. This is done. Like Ethiopia's finished no more, whatever. Um, but Micah's here because again, God said so. So nothing's going to stop that. Um, and so I have four more kids there that everybody's telling me are not coming home and, um, I want them here and it hurts to not have them here, but I'm not, and I'm fighting for them, but I'm not, I'm not going to stress about the fact that Ethiopia is closed. So Ethiopia is closed and I have four kids there. Um, yeah. Wow. And I need them home too. <laughs> yeah. Have you met them in person? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know them very well. Oh, that's really awesome. Um, so yeah, that's, that's crazy that you are, I don't know, just, um, such a fighter for these people. And I know that, um, you have a word that you used to describe yourself or that has been used to describe about you. So tell us about that. Yeah. Um, when I was in Ethiopia, because I was fighting for older kids and, um, kids that are considered damaged, um, because they're deaf or whatever, um, or kids with behavioral issues. Um, and then I just kept coming back, especially for Micah, like, 
you know, I would go and everybody at the orphanage and everybody in the government would be like, you need to go home. Like they literally come up to me like, you need to leave. Like there's no point in you being here. And I'd be like, nope, like I need my child. Like give me this paper. <laughs> um, and so they started calling me Jegna, which means hero. It's like a warrior hero. Um, they started calling me Jegna. So when I'm in Ethiopia, they just call me Jegna or Jegna Mary, Mary short for Marissa. Um, and um, I have it tattooed on my wrist. And then when I did that, it told me, you have to put, the Ethiopian people told me, you have to put strong, which is Tenkara, on your right wrist. So I have Tenkara on my right, Jegna on my left. Um, I have lion on the back of my neck, and I'm Harak, which is Ambasa. I have the coordinates for Adisa Baba, in case anybody wonders where I'm going, you know, look at my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had me, they wanted warrior on my arm too. So I wrote that one in English on the same side as Jegna. And then I have a six for the kids I thought I was getting six kids I should not have done a number <laughs> but <laughs> maybe anyway, they can so like make like the one and then like turn the six into a zero <laughs> it's some hark so yeah I don't know oh, okay never that. mind yeah something else for it. <laughs> <laughs> you'll figure it out maybe there's two more kids in Ethiopia <laughs> I'd like a plus and then make like <laughs> yeah infinity <laughs> A quick break to talk to you guys about the premium content and bonus goodies that you can be getting over on Patreon. Now, that word scares a lot of people off because it's new and whatnot, but I assure you it's as simple and easy as the app you're using right now to listen to this very podcast. It's a way for me to get these extras into your hand in an easy and affordable way. So if you want to start supporting at just $5, you'll get weekly bonus content straight into your hands. Last week, my guest Haley guest starred in the Bible study guide, and it was incredible. As soon as you hit that subscribe button, you're also able to see all of the past premium content as well. So you can get the whole catalog of live shows, Bible studies, and weekly bonus episodes. Head to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the adoptive mom to check it out. See what it's all about and make an informed decision. I mean, hopefully you'll make the right decision, you guys. (laughs) Okay, back to the show. Okay, so I want to back up a little bit because we we briefly talked about trauma and just attachment and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, a lot of my listeners, the number one question they have, especially with international adoptions, is is about attachment because it's A, different for every kid and B, so incredibly hard. And I think that, um, you know, I we went through the foster care system. And I say this all the time that I feel like um, it's a hard that you can't describe unless you've been through it, you know, because when you're going through training, you're like, sure, it'll be hard, but I'm really strong and I can do hard things. And then you get in the middle of it. You're like, oh my gosh, this is like hard in a different way. I could never have imagined this. So what was your experience there? And, and did it, was it different for every kid or how did you, how did you roll with the punches there? Yeah. Um, I think it was different for every kid for sure. And same thing. Like, I feel like it gets, you know, you hear, when you're starting the adoption process, you hear that stuff is going to be hard. You know, they tell you stuff, they make you do trainings or whatever, but I don't think they adequately prepare you. And I don't think, I think in some ways, like if you were, if someone was to say something to you, like, and really try to explain it to you, like, I think you'd be like, these people are crazy. Like this, this can't possibly be right. Cause I know like, you know, I've joined adoption groups, you know, post adoption and everybody in there is, you know, providing advice and counseling to each other and whatever. But if I had heard any of the stuff that was going on pre-adoption, I'd be like, this can't be possible. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's no way it's this difficult or like there's so much stuff going on. So yeah, I don't think you can understand it unless you've done it. And I feel like we really tried to prepare. Um, and 
I mean, you have to, and you have to do what you can, but it is different for every kid. I feel like for my deaf kids, um, I feel like they were in some ways easier because they didn't have anybody else who could communicate with them ever. And they never had any sign language. So they went into their teens with no communication, no school, nothing. And I feel like they were very much like, you know, they love their culture. They love their country. They love, you know, they love a lot of stuff about that, but they also, they didn't have a future there and they knew that, um, as far as the kind of future that they want and deserve. Um, and it's, yeah, I don't really want to go into their backstories, but like they, I feel like for them, like every kid was different and every personality is different. So, Mm -hmm. um, it just depends. And you have to, you have to find what works for each child. I was just talking about this with my husband the other day. We were, you know, we're having, um, some stuff with one of our kids and I've found a way of approaching this child. That's not how we've done it for anybody else, but it's working really well for them. And so that's how we have to go about it. Like, you know, I know when something's starting to go downhill or I know we need to do something that I have to go a certain way and handle it a certain way in order to make them feel comfortable. And then we've noticed that they're really um, starting to open up more and come to me more right away before they start to get really upset or hurt. Like they're starting to come and tell me pre something going down. So yeah, I don't know if that answers it. It's hard to, it's hard to answer it without giving away people's privacy. (laughs) No, I totally get that. I think, and I love, um, I love asking moms this because I think that, you know, I mean, the, the podcast is called the adoptive mom podcast. So it's not, I feel like I can be super honest about my side of the adoption journey. And that does seem overly, um, I don't know, like oversharing sometimes, but it's my story. I'm not talking necessarily about, you know, their feelings or assuming their feelings. And I think that there's so much there. There's so much to talk about on the side of the mom. And I think that we, we are warriors. We go through so much and we're often overlooked and not that it's about us, but we're still people. And in order to keep doing what God has called us to do, we have to stay strong. We have to stay sane. Um, and that's really hard with attachment because it's such a, it's a thing that, I feel like, you know, I grew up middle class. I'm I'm white, you know, like I grew up pretty privileged and I was like, oh, this is what, you know, you have parents and you're attached to them and like you trust them because you just do and you take that for granted. And then with adoption, you're like, this is not normal for some people. It doesn't just happen. And that's that was my first introduction to to attachment issues. And that's that's a hard fall, man. Like when you're coming from a place of privilege and you're like, whoa, this is not at all what I expected or have any context for, you know? Yeah. It's, it's crazy and it's hard. And, you know, the other part of that is, is always, you know, you have like marriage issues and you have all these other things that were happening in your life already. And then you throw trauma and attachment and everything into the mix. And, it all just kind of, uh, I feel like it goes into a pot together and then it comes out looking so different. And as warriors, we have to fight for those things too. So what are some of the other things that you have fought for to, you know, retain normalcy or, you know, a healthy marriage or something like that? Um, I think, I don't know. There's, there's so much, like there's, there's so much, I think, I don't really know how to answer it. I think we we're in a spot like I feel like we're I feel like adoption is very lonely. Um, mm-hmm. Like you, 
you know, you have a lot of people who love you, I think, a lot of times, and we do, we have a ton of people who love us, but, like, we're very alone as far as, like, what we're going through and what we're going through with our kids, and even, like, some of our kids, you know, um, maybe came to us a little bit younger, and then, you know, younger, and then as they're turning into teens are, like, hitting a whole new spectrum that we didn't expect from them because they've been here longer or because, um, they have a different backstory than some of their siblings. So we thought like, oh, like we weren't expecting issues that are coming up or um, even attachment stuff that's coming up with kids who've been here longer than other kids. Or, um, And it's just, it's just a, I don't really know how this relates to your question, but it's just a season of like, we can't like, as far as marriage goes, like we don't, we don't get to go on dates. Like we can't just go out because I can't just like leave my kids with anybody and I can't just leave them alone. You know, like it depends on, who's, who's home and which kid is doing what and how, how the day has been. And, um, and then just the, you know, some of them do, like, if you were to leave, like, that's a a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, you don't think people, people think like, Oh, like, why can't you just go out for a little bit? But like, I can't, like, my kids might think I'm not coming back. Like people don't get that. Like they don't understand that Mm -hmm. there's so much abandonment stuff to work through. So I don't know. I don't know how to answer. I don't know how to answer your question. <laughs> no, I think that you answered it really well because it highlights something that is really hard to describe as adoptive families because it is lonely and it's hard to say that to people who um, who are there for you, but you know they're the people that are saying, "What do you need?" and you don't even know how to answer that because you're like, "I need to not feel this lonely." I mean, you you, you said it like hit the nail on the head because how do you fix that? And it's so hard to give someone like a to-do list of like, well, here's how you can help because where do we even start, you know? Yeah. And if, if nobody's, like you said, like if nobody's adopted, if you haven't adopted, like you don't understand it. And then for us, like we're, we're all over the map. We have deaf kids. So that automatically isolates them from just about everybody. You know, people can't sign with them. Um, and then we have teenagers, like everybody, especially anybody our age, we don't know anybody our age, mine and my husband's age, who've adopted. And then any of our friends, you know, are just starting to have biological kids and they're just having like little babies. And our kids are, you know, wanting to date and learning to drive. And we're filling out college applications and registering for classes and like doing all this stuff. And we have no common ground anymore, even with friends and, you know, trying to hang out. Sometimes you can. And there's some people who you know, really put in effort, but it, it's hard and people don't understand what you're going through. And when you want to protect your kids' privacy, especially like I have teens, which is, you know, I used to be, I feel like even more, more open and more, um, probably an oversharer. But now that they're teens, you know, they, they may listen to this podcast and I have to remember like, okay, like I want, I want to know that anything I say here, even though I'm comfortable and I want to be open and as an adoptive mom is also still respecting my kids and that, um, if they were to hear it, that they're going to be in support of it because we're a team and they're first for me. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. And I totally get that. I, I love that. And I think that that's, um, that's such a tightrope that we walk as adoptive moms of like, I want to, you know, completely word vomit all over you for asking me just like how I'm doing. <laughs> I think people don't bargain for that. They're like, how's it going? No. And you're like, well, let me just tell I you. I have to lie to people. How am I doing? I'm great. Like, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> no, actually, everything sucks. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I feel you. So another question I like to ask people is how do you stay sane? Like, what do you do for you? You know, that like the whole, you know, hashtag self-care movement, but Yours is super cool. So tell us about that. <laughs> um, I do. Yeah, I do American Ninja Warrior. Um, and I 
I love that. I love, I love working out. I used to be super, super heavy my entire life. Um, and I lost a bunch of weight a couple of years ago. And then I started, I was doing like lifting and stuff and I really loved that. But then when I started doing Ninja, like my kids were able to get involved and they were able to go to the gym and then it's just super addicting. Um, so I do, I working out helps me, um, being able to do that. And that's tough too. Cause I can only do it, you know, when Abe's home or Abe can get here, but if I can get some of the kids to the gym, then we can do that together. And it's still like, it's something for me, but it's, it's a good bonding thing. It's something cool for them. Um, and then, you know, we get to travel for competitions and for the show and, um, and they really love that. They think that that's super cool. So yeah, I like to do workout and I like to do art and, um, and my Huskies, they're good. Huskies always love you no matter what. <laughs> it's unconditional. <laughs> and you, you play an instrument, right? Yeah, I play the fiddle. I haven't, I don't really get to play anymore. I don't have any time. Um, and then I have a lot of medical issues, so um, my hands get beat up and then they get beat up from Ninja too, but I do play fiddle. I used to want to do that full time. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, I mean, I think that that's, it's great to have that outlet, especially one that, you know, going back to the trauma and attachment, we, you know, sensory issues, like you're getting that aggression out, you're getting all of that, those yeah. uh, sensory yeah. needs <laughs> met. So, uh, and I mean, it's good for you. So that'd be neat. Uh, we have a gym here, I think a Ninja gym, um, and someone I know works out there. So anyway, I, I think it's, I hope it get it's going to get bigger in this area because it seems really neat. It's super. <laughs> That's cool. So, okay. Um, I have some closing questions for us. Are you cool to move into those? Sure. Awesome. Okay. So what do you wish you had known at the very beginning of this journey? Um, I didn't really understand that when you get your kids home, like even after like years and years and years of paperwork and fighting or whatever, when you get them home, like everything's really just starting. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that. Like I was like, Oh, they're going to be home. Like everything's going to be cool. Like, and it's really just starting then. Um, and then it just keeps going. Um, and I don't think I realized how much like adoption changes everything. Like, um, it changes everything. It'll, it changes your marriage. It changes everything about your personal time, your personal space. Um, and it's one of the best things you'll ever do. Like, it's absolutely amazing, but it's also the hardest. Um, and I, I read somewhere about adoption, like it's got the highest highs and the lowest lows. And like, mm-hmm. that's, that's so true. Um, and I think it, I didn't realize, I didn't understand that it costs everything. Like it costs all of your emotions, like, and more than you can give. And, um, it just costs, it costs your commitment and your, um, persistence and everything. Um, but it's, it's amazing. Um, but it's, again, it's that like one way commitment kind of thing when it starts. So I didn't realize how hard that was going to be. Like, you don't think, you know, I have, um, I have two kids who view me as mom, refer to me as mom, you know, whatever, but they don't call me mom, like to my face. Um, and there's, there's complicated stuff behind that, that I'm not going to go into, but like, I didn't realize like how hard that would be. Like, I give you everything. Like, I know you love me. I know you think of me as mom, but like, you just won't you know, you won't say mom, like that's, that was hard. Um, and, um, again, we talked about being prepared. Like, I don't think, I don't think anybody's prepared, but I didn't realize how unprepared I was. Um, and I guess I didn't realize like people talk about behavioral trauma and stuff, but they don't really, unless you're in an adoption group or, you know, someone who's willing to share that with you, like you don't really know what you're getting. So you don't know, um, especially with, when you have kids with special needs or kids who've 
never been able to express themselves and have just been like trapped and have, you know, if you have a kid who's only known abuse, like you don't, I don't think it really hits you like that. That's all they can respond with. Like no matter, no matter what, and it's not really their fault. That's all they know. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that you just have to be, you have to be so aware all the time and on high alert all the time. And that's hard to, that's hard to deal with because it just doesn't seem to calm down for, for a while. So I wish I had known that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I mean, secondary trauma is so real. And I think that we as adoptive moms can get things like PTSD and everything just from our kids' behaviors. And we want to think that we're stronger than that. But that's, I mean, that's brain chemistry. And, um, and it's really hard to deal with. Yeah. And if you are having traumatic behavior, like, that's the thing. Like Abe and I talk about that all the time. Like when I, I try to go to sleep a little bit, you know, I go to sleep before Abe and the kids because I get up, you know, early to go to work for third shift. And if I hear a loud noise or I hear somebody give a yell or something, like I freak out, like I jump out of bed, like I'm running because I don't know if someone's losing their mind um, and going to get, you know, physical or, or what's happening. Like, so that happens all the time. Like there's a loud noise. I'm like, oh my goodness, like I have to drop everything and run to see what's going on. So yeah, for sure. And we were, we were joking about that. We were like, we're great. Now we have PTSD. Like (laughs) you hear something, you're like, oh no. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, Okay. What do you wish you had done differently? I don't, I don't wish I had done anything differently. I don't think, I mean, there's always things you can do better, but really like uh, part of my whole life view is like, I don't want to, whenever I make a decision, like, I don't want it to be something that I'm going to regret. I don't ever look back and be like, oh my gosh, like, and uh, cause there's no point in wasting time over what you could have done or what you would have done. You learn from it, you move on. If it'll help somebody else, you help them out with that. But like, you just don't, I don't waste any time on on that. So I feel like every, every choice I do, I'm trying to do my best. It doesn't mean I always succeed. Um, but I try to make the best decision. I try to do my best. Um, and if it's not, if something's not working, like a route that I'm taking isn't working, then change it and try something else. Like, um, but I don't, I don't, I don't think I would have changed anything. I wish all my kids could have been home sooner. I wish I could have like forced that, but (laughs) I don't think there's anything I would change. No, I like that answer. That's great. I think that, you know, everyone's everyone's so different and you can go the route of overanalyzing all of your decisions or you can go the route of just placing it in the Lord's hands. And I think that that is the better choice. <laughs> That's not always what I do. But <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. What was your favorite way or is your favorite way that your your tribe, your people support you? Um, I like... I feel like a lot of people, again, a lot of people love us, but a lot of people don't know what to do. And there's not a lot, a lot of people can do, you know? Um, but I think something that has been really helpful for us, um, one of my friends, actually my training partner, she, um, she doesn't know like a lot about what's going on with my kids. Although sometimes she sees some stuff with some of them. Um, and I had a really hard day one time and she just ended up showing up on my doorstep with dinner. And then she also had, I love makeup and she had bought a really expensive eyeshadow palette and a really expensive lipstick that I loved. And um, she just like dropped them off and was like, if you need dinner again, like, let me know. And just like left, like, I didn't have to explain anything. I didn't have to be like, I didn't have to say anything. Like she just came. And then the next time she saw my kids, like she just treated them like she always does. Like she just, you know, was was fine with them she didn't ask questions she wasn't like why is this child acting like a psychopath like nothing she just like gave me makeup and food and then she left um and I think something else is like a lot of times a lot of times we get in in my house where we get shut down like we have plans or something and if you have adopted kids you know like 
plans go out the window all the time. Any big day is always sabotage. Like something's always going to go wrong. Always. It's just guaranteed. And when you have more than one kid or you have six, like <laughs> it's just a promise. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when people come and just like give my other kids rides to places, like bring them, you know, stay there with them or whatever, you know, kids that I know are, are good to go and then bring them back. Like that's a huge deal because I don't want when, especially when we're adjusting with a new kid, like I don't want um, them to have to just be home all the time or have their day um, ruined a lot when plans are going going south. So I like it when people just come, they just pull up into my driveway, my kids go out, they go with them, come back, come inside, like nobody bothers me. Um, I really appreciate that because it's, it's hard. You can't always answer the door, you know, you don't want to explain everything. And um, so when they just come and they just help me out and they just kind of unobtrusively and then they just leave um that's really really big it's been really really helpful to us especially this year yeah and you're totally speaking my language and I think it's really hard to describe that to people of like sometimes I don't want to talk and that's weird because I I am a talker I'm an extrovert but it's you know sometimes when things are just so heavy I do just want someone to be like here's dinner or like just come and like sit and watch the office with me and let's not talk about stuff (laughs) Um, I think that's so important. And so I'm glad that, you know, someone else shares that because sometimes I feel like a jerk and I'm like, I just don't, I don't have it in me to have another hard conversation. Mm -hmm. Totally feel you there. They all feel like hard conversations. (laughs) Do I? I said, it's because they all feel like hard conversations. It's like, there's nothing, there's nothing light anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So on the flip side of that, what is the worst way to like attempt to support an adoptive family or what Um, has been hurtful or just not helpful at all? I think sometimes people try to tell me how to parent my kids, which is really frustrating. Not so much anymore, but especially with the first two and you know, like um, people say, well, why don't you just spank them sometimes like a long time ago? And I'm like, you have no, like, you don't know anything like I just need you to back off or like if I'm I'm doing something where we're focused on love and bonding like making a situation work like um Micah got a Fitbit recently he got like a used Fitbit and it got a wrist strap and the wrist strap he ordered you know he gave me money for it ordered it it came it wasn't what he wanted freaked out um and I was trying to help him get back on track and then explain to him like look I'm gonna help you we're gonna replace it like and um there was nothing wrong with it. So other people that were around were like, he just needs to keep that one. Like, why, why are you like making this big effort over like this little $2 piece of plastic, you know? And, um, and I was just like, we're trying to like help his character here. Like you just need to like leave me alone or, you know, why, why don't you make Micah eat, eat American food? Like, why are you just letting him, you know, eat bread? He basically just eats bread and oil. That's not even a joke. Um, and I'm like, he, we have so many other things we have to work on. Like if he's alive and he's eating bread and he's totally healthy, like, leave him alone. Like he doesn't have to eat your food. Like he's got enough going on, you know, but people don't understand that. So telling me how to parent when you don't understand trauma, you don't understand adoption, you don't understand kids who are severely abused or have PTSD or all this stuff, kids who've never been able to communicate. Like, no, this is not your little baby that you, you got to hold since it was born and bond with. Like this is a really hurting kid. So like go away. Yeah. Um, sometimes I get me too. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think too, a way that people, um, and this goes down the social media route and the privacy route, but like 
people think my kids are perfect, like, and people think our life is perfect because I used to, I used to write in the blog and I used to share more in the blog, but I still, I try to be honest and I try to be helpful and I try to be truthful, but I also tried to like still be respectful of my kids, like even back then. But then now there's just like too much going on. And like, if I wrote everything that happened in my life, like no one would believe me. And then my (laughs) kids would be mad at me. And, you know, so I just, I gave up on that. I just don't have time for that. Um, but like I have, you know, I do Instagram and Facebook and so I love taking pictures, you know, I'm an all right photographer. So I love to, and I love to do their makeup, but like we just do different stuff. Like we're posting fun stuff because that's what social media is. Like, it's like a highlight reel. Like that's what you do. Like nobody wants to look at a pile of dirty laundry, even if that's real. Like that's not what you want to see. Like you want to see somebody's kid on a screen with a big smile. Like, you know, that's what you're like, Oh, that's such a cute picture. Um, so like the social media stuff is all like a, a highlight and I'm not going to post a, a video of, you know, a child destroying something because they were angry. Like that's not something you're going to put on social media. So people think because that's, that's what they see. They're like, Oh, like your kids are perfect. They're angels. And that's like hurtful because I can't really like, I don't want to be like, no, sometimes my kids are awful. Like, <laughs> no, they fight like cats. No, like they're, they're being horrid to me. Like, I, I don't really want to say that because I'm not trying to, I mean, I do say like, no, they're not perfect, but like nobody believes me. They're like, oh no, your kids are amazing. I'm like, well, I'm really glad that I'm really glad that's what you're seeing. <laughs> but I think that that makes it lonely. And then you're like, no, like that's not true. But, um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. That, and then on the reverse side of that, like when my kids do overreact, then like people, people have a hard time understanding like what's going on, you know? Um, we do like a co-op and something happened at a co-op and like one of my kids really had a really difficult time over something that should have like in a, if you had in a different situation, like wouldn't have really been that big a deal. And I don't want to go into their backstory or go into like all of this stuff and like explain why they're acting. Like I don't want to like defend it, but at the same time I'm like, this child like needs needs something above and beyond and like I don't want to have to explain it but at the same time like I need you to be understanding of like what's going on here and like just think about it from their perspective like what could be happening what could be going through their minds um so I feel like people don't do that they just they treat my kids like they're American and they're not even if they've been here for seven years they're not they're Ethiopian American but they're they're still Ethiopian and they grew up in a different culture and it's just it's not the same thing so maybe not being understanding and then thinking that they're, they're perfect. And then that leaves me stuck. Like, am I going to be a jerk and talk bad about my kids or am I just going to let you believe that they're angels? Like neither one. So that. <laughs> well, I feel like we're put in situations where we have to be the bad guy either way. You know, we can either be like over explain our children because they're throwing a meltdown and we're getting dirty looks or whatever, or, you know, you can, Go, you know, just look like you're a bad parent because you're just not going to explain anything. And I feel like we all need shirts that's like, give me a break. I'm an adoptive mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's really hard. And I've, I've even had friends that they will, when you know, when their kids are getting new caregivers or, you know, they're taking the mom's day out or something like that, they'll just have a sheet that's like, hello, my name is blah, blah, blah. I've been through all this stuff. <laughs> give me some, give me some space here. And I was like, that, I need to do that. Cause I have, you know, we adopted one that was a teenager and then we got one as a baby. Um, and they had very different things going on. And so I have, my teen also does not call me mom, which is fine. It, you know, it's, it's another thing that I just, just had to get through, but, um, 
And then, you know, on the other side, we have, you know, drug addiction with the little one and just lots of different stuff going on. And so at any given moment, depending on the store that I'm in or whatever, I feel like there's a lot of explaining that could be done. Um, And it's really hard to walk that balance. Like I said, it's like walking a tightrope. Like, what is the right thing to do in this specific situation? Yeah. So hard. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so what uh, if you could sum it all up? What is your greatest piece of advice or encouragement to adoptive moms? Um, I think just that no matter what you're going through, your job is just to love your kids. Like that's that's all that your job is. So you want to be the best mom you can, but you don't want to beat yourself up over the trauma. Um, that's happened to them and that's hurt them because whatever's happened to them is not your fault. And a lot of times how they're acting now is not your fault, even though that's really hard. And a lot of it is very hurtful or can be, I feel like a lot of it's always directed at the mom. I complain about this to my husband all the time. Like my kids lash out at me all the time and I feel like they don't to him at all. Um, and that's, that's hard. Um, and I know that they, you know, I know specifically like my kids, like they love me and, um, we have a, a crazy tight bond, but they also like, you know, when they're hurt, like I'm the person that they want to hurt. And so that's hard. Um, so really just like our job is just to love them. And like, that has to be a choice and you have to make it daily, but like, that's, that's all you have to do. And if you can simplify it down to that, um, and just look beyond, beyond the stuff that's hurting you, but look at their hurt. Like, I feel like that makes it so much easier. Like, I feel like I have a lot more compassion that way. Not that I'm excusing like all of the behavior or anything, but just like, okay, like, I just need to love them. Like, however, I just need to make them understand that they're loved because whatever they're going through, like there's too much stuff. They're never going to get through it all. They're never going to get rid of it. It's never going to, you know, they might learn to handle it or they might come out of some of it, but like, it's always going to be with them. And so that's, that's kind of part of the deal. Um, so if you can just love them and then just focusing on important stuff, like I said, like with Micah, like just focusing on character. I mean, this was all of them. I'm just using him as an example since he's the, the newest um, like the other stuff will come, you know what I mean? Like I, you don't sweat small stuff. Like I know, like, um, you know, some people have commented to me about some of his behaviors and I'm like, right. But if you do some of his other behaviors, like the ones that were, were, were reducing, like you wouldn't be worried about this like little stuff, like, um, even something dumb, like, you know, for him to go and sit through a church service is a huge deal for him to be in church. Like, I don't care right now if he's drawing, I don't care if he's, you know, chatting with Natalie or, or whatever it is, if he is sitting quietly and respectfully and just like going with us, like that's awesome. Um, or if he's, you know, if we can get to the grocery store, if we can go to the grocery store and go shopping and, and come home without like a huge deal, like that's fantastic. Like, so I don't care if he just eats loaves and loaves and loaves of bread, like it it doesn't matter. Like he's not going to die. You know, I don't care if, um, you know, if he's, if he, you know, goes to bed late and wakes up early as long as he's going to bed and staying in bed overnight. Like I I just, there's like so many things. So like just focusing on character and having them, um, just teaching them how to, how to be an American, how to be a good person. Like uh, Micah's not doing school right now, like hardly any school because he doesn't want to. And you can't just like make a 16 year old that's bigger than you do what you want them to. And, um, like, so we're focused on like character stuff, like the school stuff will come, like he'll catch up. He's the smartest person I've ever met in my life. He builds robots. He does all sorts of crazy stuff. He doesn't know any like English, but the kid is like genius. He can make little uh, drones that fly like he's insane, you know, so we're focused on him, you know, like treating other people with respect and, you know, doing stuff that he's supposed to do 
and, you know, not doing other stuff. Like I don't care about like school will come. Like that's not, even though that's like something that is important, like that's not the most important. So you kind of have to like prioritize and then just focus on that. So like, and I think character is the most important. And then going back to just loving them, like um, I constantly sharpie this down my arm. If I didn't have so many allergies, I'd get another tattoo. But um, just that lo- love always wins, like no matter what situation I've been in, no matter how awful it is. And there's been some awful ones. Like there's been times I've been on a floor with a kid for days and days. Um, and I'm talking like around the clock. And if you if you can, like if you can hang on to that, um, I mean, because that's straight from God, like it it's true, like it will happen, like. Um, and if you can respond, like respond in love, you can still correct and lead and you're going to be upset, but it just, it always wins no matter what situation it is like the outcome will always be better if you can handle it from a loving perspective. Yeah. I mean, like, amen. That's all, I mean, it, it, it is when you reduce it down. Cause I think that we like to overcomplicate things. I mean, that's just human nature is especially as moms, we have all this peer pressure to keep up with other moms and as adoptive moms, that's stupid. And when you reduce it all down (laughs) to just a few basic principles, um, that's really freeing. So I don't know. I love that. That's yeah. yeah. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. It's hard to, it's hard to do if you have a child who's destroying stuff or you have a child who's, you know, acting completely crazy. Like it's, it's really, really hard or, or putting other people in danger or whatever. Like that's really, cause it sounds easy. Like, Oh, just show them love. Like, no, that's, that's not easy. Or, you know, you don't always bond immediately with your kids. Like, you know, it depends on the situation. They might not bond with you. And then you've got this human that you don't even like, you know, at that moment that you're like, I have to, like, I have to love this person. Like I have to do it like this. Like that's hard. It, it sounds easy. Like, Oh, just love them. Like, but it's, it's hard. Yeah. Super hard. Oh, absolutely. And that's part of that. Just hard that no one can really explain yes. beforehand. <laughs> so I love that. Yes. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. Like this is, I I love interviews like this. I think that it's really cool to get different perspectives because again, you know, international is not the route that we took. So it's just really neat to hear other stories and hear, you know, different types of attachment and bonding and just all the things that we go through as adoptive moms. So I'm super appreciative for your time and just for your perspective and for sharing with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Okay, time for some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, what is the worst nickname you've ever been given? Marissa the Kissa. (laughs) When I was in first grade. (laughs) Wow, that's young for that kind of nickname. Yeah, I did not kiss anybody in first grade, but that was just what they came up with for me. So it was Marissa the Kissa. Love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, there's a spider in your house. Do you kill it yourself? Have someone else kill it? Or do you like capture it and take it outside and set it free like a maniac? Uh, I used to be just kill it myself. And I feel like now that I'm an adoptive mom, like sometimes, sometimes I kill it now 50% of the time. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I shouldn't hurt this little spider. Like I could let it live outside. So it depends on how convenient it is. But I killed one this morning. So I guess that's where it went. <laughs> You're braver than me. I'm like, I will call someone downstairs to kill the spider 
it wasn't it was in my makeup like area i was like friend you can't be here Mm-mm. nope that's a hard pass i i can do snakes no spiders uh that's that's a no for me uh okay last question so in a standing ovation situation are you like leading the standing ovation or are you one of those that like reluctantly you're like okay fine i'll stand up everyone else's depends on what it was for but i'm very outgoing so if i think something deserves deserves appreciation then i have no fear of of doing it i have no fear of being in front of people or what people think i don't care so what would be the reluctant one um sometimes i feel like people people clap or stand when something's not that great and sometimes i'm just tired and i don't want to get up so it would depend but if it was something amazing like a really amazing musical performance or like for ninja like this wasn't a standing ovation, but a, a mother got up the warped wall for the first time on the show this season. And like, I went and stood in front of the TV and was like, because ah, I was standing up for her. So like, it'd have to be something amazing. I was sad that she beat me to it. I was kind of like, hey, that was, I wanted to do that. <laughs> That's okay. We'll, we'll fix that. Um, yeah. It would just depend on what it was. It depended if I felt like it, it really needed, you know, I'm not one of the people who thinks that everybody should get a blue ribbon. So yeah, I, no, I agree. No point in that. Yeah. So. I'll lead it for the most part. Like I'm fine with giving a standing ovation. My two reluctance are after movies and on airplanes. I'm like, okay, okay, we're doing this. All right, I'll clap. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I think I think sometimes it's fun because it's it's fun to see like what people will do. Because if you stand up and start clapping, like even if you're the only one, like everyone else feels awkward. So then like they start to clap and then they stand like, I think that's funny. Like <laughs> you can control people that, but like other people who are not even involved and no one's even looking at them are like, Oh no, like we're supposed to be clapping. I think that's funny. And then for planes, like Ethiopians do that when you land, um, you clap really hard for the pilot. That's like a thing on the Ethiopian airlines. So like now we do it all the time. Like we went boating and tubing this weekend and when we got back all the kids went tubing and when we got back safely like everybody was clapping and the poor guy was like what's happening and I was like oh they're like they're saying good job for getting us back to shore like (laughs) (laughs) I love that that would be weird they're like what is happening right now (laughs) yeah 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 I was like it's a cultural thing (laughs) oh that's awesome I love it um cool well thank you again and now we know like some really fun stuff about you so yay (laughs) 